Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. G'day and welcome to the Pod Pod. It's Holmesy here for another edition of the Holmes Files, and I've uh, I've picked out another special guest here, which I'm actually super excited to talk about. He's someone that you might not have heard too much in the the fantasy community, maybe a little bit recently, but he's he's generally been a super coacher, but he's come across and he's just decided to just dominate everything. So I thought, what better man to to really crack into how we attack this season? And that's JD from Fantasy Take TV. Is that right? FTTV. Yep, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Most people stuff that up, add an extra F in, so you nailed it in one. Yeah, awesome. So for those of you that don't know, JD's come across from Supercoach for the last two years, and he's actually gone back-to-back caps, which uh, is only really done by the absolute elite, so clearly he knows what he's doing, but why don't you just introduce yourself and give us a little bit of your fantasy background? Uh, Yeah, yeah, spot on. So... uh, I've been a Supercoach content creator for a little while and I've mainly played Supercoach uh, in the lead up to two years ago. And then, uh, you know, we'd always had um, great respect for Selby and what he did and, and listened to a bit of him here and there. And then when it uh, when we found out he was coming over to Supercoach, I thought, you know what, I should actually go over to Fantasy and see if I can apply Supercoach to Fantasy and see how it goes, uh, as well as maybe hopefully learn a little bit of what has made him successful in that format and then be able to apply it back to, to Supercoach as well. Uh, so, yeah, I started playing fantasy two years ago. Um, as you mentioned, I kind of went back-to-back hats and I did AFLW um, for the inaugural official season and, and finished sixth in that as well. So I've had a pretty good run so far. Maybe it's just beginner's luck. We'll see how we go with this year. Yeah, look, I don't think it's beginner's luck, mate. It's, it's well, yeah. Anyone can have a, a really, really good season where it all comes together and, and find yourself up the top of the ranks. But the fact that you've done it twice, clearly, uh, I wouldn't have thought you would have had that much luck. So you clearly know what you're doing. And why I really wanted to get you on here today is that I've, I've listened to a little bit of your, your content recently and, and listened to the, your philosophies and how you build a squad. And there's, there's very similar sentiments, but then there's also some stuff that uh, you know you kind of see a little bit differently than I do. And that's what I'm really really keen to dive into because you know the fact that you've done it twice in a row I know Matty Mottram did it twice in a row as well and and he kind of sees it the same way that maybe you guys have cracked a a little bit of a slightly different blueprint on how to play the game especially early I know that when you know when I've gone well in the past and Selby's gone well in the past and even Ahami it's all been that we've come charging home late after the buys but you guys have found yourself quite high up in the rankings early and you managed to to maintain that so why don't you just dive into your starting squad philosophies a little bit maybe just start with last year and and how you kind of went about it and then we'll kind of dive into how you plan to bring that over this year yeah so i I might actually start with two years ago so my first season and um i didn't actually look at fantasy or preseason i just did super coach like i normally did and george who runs fantasy take tv convinced me to throw in a fantasy side and i decided to start a bad super coach side or at least in my mind what a bad super coach side looked like so I basically took on all the players that were one step too risky for me to play in Supercoach with the limited trades. You don't want to take these guys on. And that ended up being a pretty good team that year. It um, nailed a lot of the mid-prices like Will Brody and I can't remember who else there was, but there was a ton that year and they kind of all seemed to hit in um, 2022. So, oh, like Wits and stuff as well. I think there's a few like that that just yeah kind of went gangbusters. Uh, so 2023, I took it a little bit more seriously, but um, I think I kind of had the blueprint from that, which is research like I would for Supercoach, which is, tends to be more conservative. You're looking for people that not only have upside, but will be there for the full year uh, and then kind of just amp up the risk a little bit um, and put a little bit more of that uh, into into fantasy. And it seemed to work for a second year in a row and we'll try we'll try for a third year now. I feel like I'm getting riskier and riskier each year though, um, like taking more off the the top and putting it more into mid prices and those speculative breakouts, which 
uh, I think, yeah, can definitely be a recipe for disaster if, if too many of them go backwards. Yeah, so let's just define the players a little bit here because, you know, there's different categories of players. So we've we've clearly got the uber elite guys that are, you know, right at the top of the tree but don't necessarily present any value. You've then got your underpriced premiums that in your, you know, all lines that are underpriced from what they they yeah, what they can do, but we expect them to maybe have, you know, 5 to 10 points upside and be essentially top 6 to 10 in their line. And then you've got your mid prices. So traditionally your mid prices you're looking for that sort of 20 to 25 points upside, but they're not necessarily keepers. They're, they're there just to flip. Um, and then you've got the mid-prices. You say like years gone by, you will Brodies. Uh, I think we had an Isaac Cumming and Nick Hind that, you know, we picked as mid-prices, but they ended up being almost keepers for us. And those are what we call those smash picks or, you know, the competition winning picks. And it traditionally, when I've sort of built my side, I wasn't willing to take on any mid-prices unless I saw the potential for them to be keepers but it seems like you're more than happy to start more of these mid-price guys that maybe have you know 15 to 25 points upside knowing that there's more trades in AFL fantasy and if it does all go right you're happy to just flip 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 and just make the cash yeah that's right yeah it's I mean for me I think about it as just generating as much cash uh, or as much value as you can early on and so I tend not to pay for anyone that I think is fairly priced so, uh, like, for example, someone like a Bontempelli, I haven't really considered at all. Um, last year, there were a, a fair few guys like that, like Doherty, I had no interest in, um, which I think ended up paying off not starting him, but then I <laughs> traded him in just before he got injured. So, but yeah, so I, like, I'm, all, I'm happy to take on those guys. I tend not to think um, in terms of how many keepers I'm trying to start. Like, I haven't counted it once for, for fantasy. It's a really bad super coach habit where we look at having at least, you know, 12, maybe 13 primos or keepers that you've got for the full year. I, I don't think it really helps in fantasy. You do have enough trades that you end up being able to effectively turn over your whole team if you want to. So I'm just trying to uh, find the guys that I think present the most uh, upside. And that led to starting, for example, Jaden Hunt last year, which was uh, like a very unique pick, I think, over over most because, yeah, like I never saw him as potentially being a keeper, but thought he could provide good points on field, great job security, and there was a fair bit of cash upside. Now, he well outperformed even my expectations. But if you you know, have um, the right mix of those guys and you're trying to pick, pick the best ones, you can end up finding that really smash pick. And, of course, you get duds as well um, or you get off guys too early. Like I traded Warple before uh, what the Will Day suspension and then he really popped off. Like I, I got rid of him too early. I got rid of Ashcroft too early as well. So, you know, there's definitely stuff like that that can happen. Um but yeah, I'm I'm looking at all price points and just trying to find the guys that I think have the most value in them and just load up on as many of those as I can. Um, for the premiums or more top end, yeah, I'm trying to find underpriced premiums as well. So all those top end guys that I'm putting in my side, I want to see like a few points upside at least, hopefully more like five or 10, but that's what I'm trying to get. Like, yeah, everyone everyone should be generating cash. I don't want I don't want anyone fair value. They go backwards. I can pick them up later. There's only downside risk in those types of picks. Do you have like a so for these mid prices that you're looking at, and maybe it's a little bit different this year with the forwards, considering the lack of options that we have. But mm. do you have a general rule of what you're trying to get? Like a you know, even if it's just a 15 point upside from these mid prices, or do you look for more? Where yeah, try uh, and explain that for us. Yeah, so I, uh, there's a couple of really handy tools, especially like you've got um, uh, Jaden Papowski's like worthwhile averages, and that's always a good number to check. Like how many points do they need to be to be like that smash pick that you're talking about? Someone that you would almost, they become like season-defining picks. So I think that's always a good point of reference. That is, of course, on the extreme end, like they become the absolute competition week picks, and you don't need to have a team full of those to do really well. Uh like, so this is a really interesting one. In Supercoach, um, it's like 35 points is what you look for. Uh, and that's t- tied to how much money they have to go up to be worthwhile or to be the equivalent of like what you could generate a cash out of a rookie. I think in fantasy that number's less because you've got more trades. Uh, so yeah, like it, it, it depends. Uh, like maybe it's better if we speak to examples of like players that you had in mind. Um, but for me, it's like often it's just, yeah, who I think has the most upside for them. And then I'm comparing that to rookies. Like, could I get as as much upside or better upside from rookies? And if the answer is yes, then maybe I should just be going rookie and a, and a premium. But 
uh, yeah, the the other thing is like, I mean, there's two other parts here. So one, rookies define your structure. A lot of people say that. And so if you've got lots of good rookies and I'm probably going to go away from having more mid prices, it's just, you know, makes sense. That's where the extra money can be generated. And um, I think it also comes on like how you assess mid prices as well. Um, because I find a, a lot of the reason why people have been put off them is they don't necessarily look for the ones that are likely to provide real good upside. I think once you start analyzing where the breakout performances come from, there's patterns and trends you can pick up on that make them easier to select. Um, which, yeah, I think maybe there's been a little bit of an advantage in that. I'm not, not really sure. Yeah, and uh, the thing that's really good about the mid-prices at the moment, and I, I'm thinking maybe over the last couple of years as this sub-rules come in and it, it's been harder for our rookies to to play consistent games without, you know, copping a, a red vest or a rest here and there. But, you know, we have this number in the fantasy community, especially in AF, that a rookie is going to score 60 points. But if you have a look at it, like 60 is actually more on the top end. Like you have mm, your Dacoses mm. and your Sheezles that, you know, are so far above everyone else, it's ridiculous. But I'm pretty sure I looked at the numbers last night and there was only four or five rookies for the year that actually averaged above 60. So it's not actually a, a mark that many rookies get to. And, you know, you know they do have their sub-vested games in there that affect it. But unfortunately, that's part of the, the risk of, of playing a rookie. So, yeah, this mid-brice... You know, if you're going to get, you know, 20, 25 from a mid-pricer and, you know, maybe you might get that from a rookie, but if they're being vested all the time or they have these scores, then, yeah, maybe the mid-price option is the way to go. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that's spot on. One of the things I found um, looking at my team versus maybe other teams last couple of years is I do send, tend to start less first-year players. Uh, so where maybe I see like six, even seven, uh, like, you know, basement kind of price or first year rookies, I'm starting like three, four or five. Um, and, you know, it's really just picking out the ones that I'm sure will have really good scoring and I throw everyone else on the bench because I can find mid prices that tend to have as much value in them and they'll score more points throughout the year. So, uh, yeah, like balancing the side out that way has worked really well. It's interesting this year, like it's going to change again. Um, we mentioned the sub rule, right? It's going to be even worse now that the sub doesn't have to be named until what now beforehand, we're going to get caught holding on to rookies that we probably should have traded because they're going to end up being subs and all that type of stuff. Uh, so yeah, like definitely some worrying stuff um, that's going on this year. So if you're looking at more of a, a squad mentality and, and making sure that um, all of your players are, are going to go up in value, which we all we we all are, there's always been that sentiment that you know if you can get that 200k rookie on the bench. You're obviously going to have more money to then spend on field for your players scoring, but you're more than happy to pay up on the bench because you know these these often these 200k rookies are either first year players or players that have been in and out of the team over the years, and and they might not have the job security or the scoring to go up. So you're more than happy to to pay up for someone with a little bit more job security so that they're going to be there for the long run if you take a hit on field. Yeah, totally. Just just think about um how many rookies we had last year, even that were around that 200K range and just turned out to be really poor options that a lot of us started with. Like I think uh, Davey was one of those. Uh, Constable ended up not being great, although it was a bit more expensive to start with. And I think there was at least one or two more like that as well that just get stuck on your bench. If if you're running more mid-prices, you have less of these bad rookies. Like you just don't start them where they become the 29th and 30th um, player for someone else. So yes, they have slightly more points on field to begin with because they've freed up that cash that I may have spent an extra 30, 40, 50K on a rookie. But the more expensive rookie ends up creating a lot more cash and then you catch up the points and then some as the year goes on. So would there be a number, like an arbitrary number that you would be, you know, feeling a little bit uncomfortable spending on the bench? Like would you put someone over 300K on your bench? Uh, so it's a good question this year with the Rucks, uh, with what's sweet and is it Conway is his name? Um yeah, I think like 300K is, is probably the mark where you're pushing it because if you're spending that much on them, I guess the question is like, why wouldn't you put them on the field? Because I think you start getting to the point where for their um, the cash they generate at their price to make sense, they'd be scoring well enough that you'd have them on the field anyway rather than on your bench. So I think you, as you push over that 300K mark, it makes less and less sense with the exception of that probably being the R3 position because it's not like there are alternatives to sweet so i'm willing to start him even though he's close to 400k if he's r1 just because he will well outperform that and yes the points are stuck on the bench but in a year where he might be doing a little bit of buy cover for you 
uh, I think that ends up making sense. But yeah, beyond that, 300K is probably about the, the line that you start to draw. Yeah, well, the reason I sort of ask is I actually want to, well, it's a good segue into the defenders and how we're structuring up, but I'm actually not seeing many rookies at the moment, given there haven't been any preseason games, but I'm not seeing many rookies that we're going to be, you know, comfortable selecting in our squads <laughs> this year. You know, you've got a Dan Curtin who has had um, a preseason injury. He's, he's battling knee soreness. I saw somewhere today that he was in the Bs for the first half of match sim and then came on for the A's in the second, but he's he's coming from a long way back in terms of his fitness at the moment. You've got maybe a Josh Gibkus, uh, but who knows what his scoring is going to be like, you know, playing a lockdown role for for Richmond. You know, there's, you know, word of a Toby Pink potentially, but I can't see him being a big scorer for North. And outside of that, you know, you might get a Zach Reed, you might get a, a Mullen who might, you know, get some games. You don't really know, but if these rookies aren't here to pick, then, you know, what's to say that we don't potentially pay up for a Caulfield at D6 and then maybe a Marty Hoare at, at D7 because the other rookies that are available aren't going to be scorers or there aren't even rookies available to pick? Yeah, I think uh, spot on. I mean, if there was ever to be a year where you pay up for the 300K type rookies anyway, like a Hoare at D7, I think it would be this year, especially if you're running early by players. Like everyone's going to have Williams. He's out round two. Like, I think there is probably more opportunity to do that um, than in, in previous years. Uh, I tend to avoid running the defender rookies anyway, at least in fantasy. In Supercoach, it's a little bit different. But guys like Gibkiss, Reed, these key defenders just don't score particularly well anyway. So the upside isn't great, even though their job security may be okay. Uh, so you can kind of hang on to them and hope they have a spike game in this. But yeah, they're the, they're the types I tend to shy away from anyway. And, you know, I would... I'd struggle to see a side that I go into this year that doesn't have like a Caulfield at... D6. Um, like I would not be f- comfortable fielding Curtin, Gibkiss, Reed, maybe even Hoare, like maybe. Uh, so yeah, like I, I think you're spot on. Like I'm, 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 there's a lot of value in defense, but I wouldn't be looking for the rookies to be um, generating it this year. Awesome. Is that, so, is that where, is that where you're at as well? Well, I currently have, I currently have Hoare at D6 because I have that same sort of sentiment that if you're going to be paying 306k for for him, mm-hmm. and I actually think his scoring will be quite quite good. That's not the issue. Um, so if you're paying that kind of money, you kind of do want him on field. But I, yeah, every year I get stuck with these defender rookies on my bench that don't score, that don't make any cash. Um, yep. And yeah, just trying to have that squad mentality that you talk about where you need to try and generate as much cash as possible. Maybe it is taking a bit of a hit with Amadi Horan having him at D7 and only running one, one other rookie because, yeah, the rookies just aren't there to pick. Yeah, like it's a it's a real interesting one. Um, I I'm not sure Hoare's best twenty two to be honest. I think there's a good chance he misses, or at least he's fringe, which is, makes it tricky as well. Uh, like, who are the other guys that are? I mean, I guess you've got like um, Blank from Hawks, who's like two twenty k. He'll have good job security, but no scoring. You've got um, Euland from Gold Coast, who was a failed rookie for some of us last year. He's two twenty k as well. I think there's a pretty good chance he plays games, but yeah, like. None of these really appeal, do they? Yeah. Look, it's it's impossible to tell without seeing any preseason games, but I think they probably do have a role in mind for Hoare. I think Hibbert has just retired, and we all know what's going on with their midfield. And if there's ever going to be a you know a first six games where you know a Brayshaw has to go into the midfield, or you know someone like a Rivers has to chop out a bit, and that opens up a spot back there, I think that probably is the the go. And AFL clubs don't really throw lifelines to these these players at 27, 28 years old, if they don't have a role for him. You look at a Corey Wagner last year for Frio, um, he got games mid-year, but uh, I think he was in line for a, a debut early, but he had a bit of a preseason setback and then found himself you know, on the outer. So yeah, there could be a role there for him, but you're right. We, we won't know until any of the preseason games, but yeah, it's a, a bit of a tough one. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, I think if he does get games, he's um, he's definitely one that should have the scoring potential. The other one that's interesting is it um, Cleary for Port that is potentially trying out for that wing spot to replace Dersma. I think he's around three hundred k as well. Um, that's the other one that could end up being that D six D seven option. Yeah, well, Louis on Pod Pod is a uh, he's our Port man who's been going out of training. So he he says he's nowhere near and. Um, Ooh, okay. Yeah, good, good intel. He, he couldn't crack a game in in defence last year when they didn't have any defenders, and now they've gone out and recruited Basava and, and BZT. So I think he's gonna he's gonna struggle a bit. But let's let's keep talking about these defenders. So how are you kind of looking to to structure up in defence at the moment? Because 
the way I'm kind of looking at it is the a lot of the top end premiums are either fairly priced or overpriced. And even mm-hmm. the ones that potentially have a little bit of value, say like a Lockie Whitfield, Jaden Short, even potentially have a buy. So how are we looking oh, to yeah. navigate this? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, let's just get it out of the way. Everyone like Hayden Young first picked, just lock him away. Pretty easy. Goodbye. Underpriced. Going into the midfield. Love that. Uh, yeah, of the top priced guys, I totally agree. I guess Sheezer was the one that was kind of a little bit um, interesting early just because if he had the same role as last year without Zebel, without Hall, with other young guys around, like you could see him probably push that a little bit further and once again had a better buy than some of these others, but that doesn't sound like it's going to be the case. Um, so of the other top guys, I guess Stewart is one that you know potentially presents a little bit of value just because he had that knee injury early last year. Uh, like, eh. Yeah, I think their fixture's good early as well. That's probably the one um, around that top end that I'm like I'd consider. The other one for me is Dacos. I do think he's underpriced still. Um, so I, I think he's someone that uh, could go like yeah, much bigger. He's going to be D one. He does have the buy, but I don't know. That's the one that I'm like I've had in my teams more often than not. So uh, if it's yeah. Hayden Young is my D1 at the moment, but if I don't end up with him at D1, it'll be Dacos, potentially Stewart. But almost everyone else, I, I don't really see much upside, so I'm not that excited for them. Whitfield is probably, yeah, one of those ones that's more interesting. It's just hard to buy into that with the, you know, very early buy. So you're, yeah, you said that Dacos has been in a lot of your teams. You're happy to start him with the potential uh, Finn McGuinness tag into a buy into a potential Willem Drew tag, like all potential, obviously. Yeah. Um, but you'd be happy to wear that? Uh, yeah, there's a lot of lot of potential tags, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I they got I us last year, right? We all didn't, well, not all of us, but I, I, I didn't start Dacos last year. I started year. him last year. Yeah, you yeah, did, I but I didn't year, start yeah. him because of he got tagged in the preseason and we all thought that it was going to eventuate, which it didn't. But I think the proof's in the pudding that the last two times that Hawthorne have played Collingwood that, uh, Finn McGuinness's tag Dacos and it it resulted in a win for Hawthorne over the the Premiers last year. So you would think that's going to happen. Yep, I think there's a very good chance it does happen. I'm still I'm still not sure if that means that not starting him is the right move. Um, yeah, because what the assumption is it um, so he gets tagged, has the buy, then he drops two more weeks. Probably uh, you know you're hoping I guess that Port tag him as well. You pick him up, what, before Essendon or before Carlton, uh, which is like in the right upgrade time of year. Uh, you just have to hope that you like, can get to him with where he's priced at, which, I mean, if he gets tagged twice, you will easy. Like, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm okay to not start him. Um, I, I think it's a line ball call. I, it's, for me, the interesting thing is like if he goes, I don't know, say 130, 130 first two games, which is not out of, out of um, possibility for Dacos. Like, what what do you do? Do you just hold tight and wait for the Finn tag? If Finn doesn't tag, like, is it just season over? Yeah, well, that's that's the thing. And, and to be honest, it's it's a bit of a cheat code, but we're going to get that look in round zero. And mm. they played GWS in round zero, I, I believe, which who knows what they're going to do there. But then they do play Sydney in round one, which is super interesting to me as well because Sydney have actually tagged in the last three times they played, and that that included, I'm pretty sure, either in his first year. So Ryan Clark's gone now, so that might <laughs> that potentially might not happen. But, you know, Sydney and Sydney are a pretty tough matchup as it is, but it's such a line ball call. If he does go 130-130, is he really going to be that much more out of reach than, than to start? Like, I know you're starting him, so it's easier yeah, to yeah, start yeah. him. No, look, it's it's possibly still in range. The 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 Sydney one's actually really interesting as well with um Adams coming across as well, because you think he'd bring Intel in terms of what Collingwood would do in the event of a tag or like how they've been kind of like learning to mitigate it over the time and whether or not they actually worry about it. Like do they see tagging Dacos as being detrimental um to their side or not, or like whether they're happy to wear it. Uh so yeah, like Sydney is an interesting one as like a blueprint. I don't know. I, I can, yeah. As I said, Hayden Hayden Young's my my D one at the moment. So like, I'm I'm fine with people not starting him. I I can see the reason to start him though. Like, just because I am fairly sure he's averaging more like a one fifteen plus for the year this year, um, and he's priced at one hundred nine. Like, so the upside is there. But yes, like with timing, it may end up working better just to wait. 
yeah, look, we all, yeah, we all know that he's going to be more than likely day one, um, given an injury. It's just yeah, so tough, so tough. And mm-hmm. to be honest, it could it could define how coaches go this year. So it's super interesting. All right, so you've got Hayden Young at D1 and you you said that you don't typically like to start rookies on field in defense, which means you must have a few mid-prices floating around. So what are you what are you looking at with the mid-price defenders? <laughs> this will change between now and round one. I do not expect all these guys to survive. But what I tend to do is um, there's lots of mid-prices that are potentially interesting. Like when we start at the preseason, we don't know much about the rookies. Um as the preseason evolves, I start to like strike these guys out. Once you start finding out they don't have the role or they're not going to live up to your expectations and you start hearing about the good rookies and you start bringing them in. So I expect this to change. But uh, like Elliot Yo is D2, has been for a while. Um, I know there's debate over this, but yes, once again, he's very underpriced for what he can produce. Going to be full-time mid. If he survives uh, like a full preseason, which is what we've heard so far, uh, he will crush that price pretty easily. And if you're not starting a day cost, then someone like a yo is uh, exactly probably how you get there. He could quite easily make 200, 250K and end up being the stepping stone once he eventually does get injured, which is probably um, more likely to happen than not, I would say. Yeah, look, I've, and I got grilled in all of my group chats for this, but I, I, I picked yo in my first um, edition of my team and he's, mm. he's essentially been there pretty much ever since. So, I, People are all scared off, but these are the type of players that you need to pick to to be successful in fantasy. And if you're if you're chasing a high rank, it's high risk, high reward. But you know, with all reports, the way he's training as a full time mid and he's been healthy so far this preseason, I think people would be crazy to just stripe him off their list because of what's happened over the last couple of years. So I, I really like that. We we don't need to talk about a Zach Williams too much. We all know that if he's fit and healthy, he's playing round zero and round one. We pretty much need to to have have a look and, and pick him. I think that's pretty much yep. a no-brainer, but who else are you looking at? Yeah, so uh, we mentioned Williams who's sitting at D5 for me and then Caulfield at D6. At three, I have uh, Connor Buderick. Uh, so, that's loose, but yeah, yeah, yep, that's fair enough. Yep, yep. Well, with the with the talk that he's getting the, the shorty role, if you look into his um, draft profile, you can kind of see why, both in terms of like build and height, but also where his skills lie. I could see why... Uh, Hardwick kind of identifies him as that type. I always worry about picking a half back in a team that plays in incredibly like dewy conditions. But yeah, Buderick has what had now two injured preseasons or like, and his preseasons haven't been good either. Once again, I think someone like well outperforms his price if he gets that role. But if we, you know, we're going to get to preview this for free in round zero. If he's not the main distributor out of that side, I'll be, you know, flipping him away pretty quickly. And that's the type of one that you know, may end up going to like a steward or something like that. Uh, and then uh, the other one in there is Heath Chapman as well. So, yeah, obviously conjecture over whether he gets a halfback role, a wing role, and what he'll score in those. But I'm happy to wait and see for the preseason. Um, once again, I think someone that's got, you know, probably at least 200K upside depending on the role that he gets. Yeah, beautiful. So for someone like me that generally doesn't start more than three to four mid-prices, you've got five in your defense. So it's... Uh... Oh, yeah. yeah. I guess so. It depends. I mean, Yo's is basically yeah. rookie price. 350 is so yeah. cheap. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, true. Yeah. And Yo, Yo, you're not really picking as a mid-pricer. You are, but he, if all goes well, you're hoping he's an underpriced premium. So, yeah. Um, yep. Bit of a I mean, I think, he, I think he goes either way. Like, he, if he's fit, he scores well enough to either be a keeper or by the time he breaks down, you've made enough cash that it ends up being worth it. So, like, I just, yeah, that, for me, it's the only real bad outcome is he gets injured in the first game or two, you know, probably pretty early on um, and you get like a 10 on field. And like, if I get beat by that, so be it. It's just unlucky it happens. Yep, fair enough. Let's move into the midfield now. Another interesting line, especially because uh, of how we're spending down in the forward lines. We have a bit more cash this year to to splash in the midfield with the rucks as well. So how are you kind of seeing the midfield and how that's lining up? I am six deep in the midfield at the moment and then two rookies. Uh, yeah, it's – and they, they, I guess the thing that most people have gotten onto as well is there's not really that much true mid-price value in the midfield. So there's underpriced premium guys, which I'm happy to take on and have a look at. But really the only guys sub kind of 700K that are interesting are Sheldrick, if he gets a role, which sounds unlikely given Adams and Jordan coming into the team this year, and Wardlaw. Um you know, he's, I guess, a little bit hard to predict given he got managed pretty heavily last year uh, when he did play just due to, 
his injury concerns. So yeah, between his like history so far, the fact he's only second year, how they manage his time on ground, like he's going to be a gun. But yeah, I just don't don't necessarily love it this year when I think we probably need to take risks in other lines. So yeah, midfield is where we're paying up for now. Um, have you like what's your structure at the moment? I saw uh, uh, what was it, Fantasy Nut kind of tweet out asking people what their structures were. And I like saw almost no one with my structure. So I'm like, oh, maybe I'm well off the mark this year. I don't really know. Yeah, so at the moment, I currently have one player priced above one, uh, 100. One player yep. priced above 100. And then I've got, uh, I think it's two or three between 100 and sort of 85. And then I've got two down below that. So I've got yeah, two, okay. two of your... Well, I've, yeah, so I've got Wines and I've got Matt Crouch at the moment just sitting there, those mm-hmm. around that sort of price point. And then I'm, I'm looking at a, a Jack Steele LDU. Yep. So what's that? 221. But I've got, oh, and, a, and a, another one. I think it's a Took Miller at the moment. I'm, I'm kind of toying around with trying to have someone in that spot that I can potentially flick to Walsh. Um, if, if Walsh goes well round zero, I, I still think Walsh is pretty undervalued for what he could produce. Yep. But I'm still trying to work through how that plays out because I'd, I'm a little bit worried. I know you need to be aggressive, but I don't want to be caught in a trap in round three where I've got a few injuries that I need to fix and I've also got a premium there who's on a buy. I think that could be in a bit of trouble, but if it all pays off, it could go well as well. So how are you structuring up? Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mate, just let the premium sit the buy. It's fine. It's one week in best 18. It's not a big, it's not a big deal. People worry about that way too much. Um, so uh, I... So yeah, so the 100 average mark is 900k if memory serves me right. Yeah, so I've got one player above 900, uh, everyone else below that that point. And yeah, I like I, I as I kind of mentioned, I like taking on the top price guys and trying to find those underpriced ones. So um, I'm structured up that we've got one over 900k, which is Brayshaw. Um, still like him as a pick, just given that he started slow last year with that injury, came home pretty strong. I guess some concern with Fife and Young coming into the midfield what the net effect of that is. But um, yeah, I think he should be pretty solid and ends up being a captain, vice captain option each week. Uh, and then I've got, uh, what, three kind of just around that sub 100 mark in Butters, LDU and Steel. Um, I have enough cash sitting in the bank, like a fair bit that that Steel has been day cost at times. So I don't actually mind starting him in the midfield necessarily, depending on how um, teams work out. But uh, yeah, like Butters, similar story to Brayshaw, started off slowly with injury concerns, but then came home very strong. Great buy. Uh, LDU, once again, like injury concerns, but when he was on the park, will will outperform that average. And then Steele, exactly the same thing, kind of a bit of a theme with these underpriced premiums that they tend to have had some type of small injury or niggle that adds some free value into the side. And then if you can see improvement beyond that, uh, even better. Like North should improve as a side compared to how they were last year, which should help LDU. Uh, Steel plays for the Saints, which I think was the second lowest stoppage side behind Essendon last year. There's probably not going to go backwards on that stat. And if they start getting more stoppages, that's good for someone like him. And then I've got um, two of the 700K guys in Nick Martin and Matt Crouch. So, uh, like, I believe, uh, like, I've had Nick Martin for a while and we're starting to see some of the reports, but I believe Essendon's going to put him into the Dacos light role. Um, just try and run all of the the not all of it, but try and actually run rebound through him. Um, if you watched Essendon last year, very slow um, uh, in in terms of moving the ball out of halfback, uh, and ended up playing a lot of position uh, possession footy as a result because they were getting stuck in uh, opposition zone. Nick Martin is one of the ones that could actually uh, like has the foot skills to kind of break through that and the creativity to to do so. So I can see them effectively trying to create that arc. Archeti- uh, sorry, architect type player that a lot of the other top teams are using at the moment, um, including getting some of the kick-ins. I know they've got like Ridley and stuff who's a very neat kick as well, uh, but not as explosive or creative coming out of defense. So in that possession style, he's great. Um, but if you're trying to actually be creative out of, of back line, I think uh, someone like Martin could 
quite easily end up averaging uh, 105, which is what plus 20 points on where he's at at the moment. And then he ends up being a top two or three defender um, at come end of the year. I know it's very optimistic, but yeah, bullish on Nick Martin at the moment. And then Matt Crouch, I think um, most people know um, about Crouch. And when he's at his best, he can, you know, probably do a 105 for what he's priced at as well. So some really good value there, even though I don't anticipate him being a top eight mid by the end of the year. He's potentially someone that you could flip out of during the second set of buys, just given I think the Crows are on the last buy. Um, so it's kind of like that luxury um, sideways at the end that you could you could uh, see yourself doing with someone like a Crouch. And I think the nice thing as well with some of these guys is if they don't do well early, as you mentioned, Walsh has that early buy, Green has that early buy, and these are two players I would absolutely start if they didn't have buys. So I'm pretty comfortable correcting to them early if I need to. Yeah. Are there any other players in that sort of low 90s average to mid 80s average that you're, you've been considering? So you've got, you know, Carl Amon, that's been a bit of a buzz pretty much for that yep. same role that they're looking for. And Nick Martin, you know, you've got Ollie Wines that from all reports, he's now going to be back in, in being a full-time midfielder. And, you know, he's, he's only had, really had one year where he's been a top eight mid, but he's, you know, had years and years and years of mid 90s to high 90s scoring. You've got a Jai Simpkin who... Yes, had a had an injury interrupted year, a lot like LDU, but you'd think that they're still pretty young, and that I I would be shocked if he's not M two behind LDU, so that they can have the the bigger bodies in there protecting the younger guys as they develop. Are there any other guys like a Giant Newcomb that type? Uh, Giant Newcomb, I don't like. So this this part of this comes from like where people break out from, and I I struggle to see Newcomb taking another big step up. So I'm probably a uh, like anti Newcomb guy at the moment. He, I think, already led their CBAs last year. Um, I just don't see where he kind of goes to improve on that this year. Um, but yeah, like I, I think there's lots of guys in that 700K range are interesting. You touched on Simpkin. I had him at one point in the preseason. They were mucking around with him at half forward and half back at various points, which to me suggests that they don't necessarily want him in their core midfield rotation, which worries me a little bit. Um, yeah, Wines. I'm still not sure how that plays plays out because they do have what Butters, Rosie, and Horn Francis, and uh, I know Hinkley keeps saying that like he's going to be absolutely in there this year. Like he was at was it fifty percent CBAs last year and went at seventy eight fantasy. So like what what do we realistically seeing him get back to? Um, I think he had three games where he had seventy percent plus CBAs and he was at that ninety four average, which is still like a pretty good return. If he got up to 70% and goes at 95, you're okay with that? Like, like that could be okay. Um, Guthrie, I guess, is another one which, you know, he could reasonably come back and lead the Cats CBAs this year. The struggle with the Cats is it's probably the hardest um, Victorian side, at least anyway, to actually get preseason reports out of an accurate one. So who knows what they're going to do? And that always makes me nervous picking up those types. Uh, he's also at that point where... He's getting a little bit long in the tooth and I, I worry about his body. Um, but yeah, like there's lots of other guys at 700K range. Oh, and um, Carl Amon was one that I have had in the team as well. Uh, but yeah, once again, in match sims, they've mucked around with him at halfback and wing still. And I think the risk obviously with him is not just that he doesn't get the right role, but then he doesn't get DPP as well. Um, so I'm like very certain at the moment that Martin is only going to play that halfback role and we'll end up with DPP around six and, and move back. Um like it's the same reason why, like a Bailey Scott, who I think is did now a calf, injured anyway. calf today, yeah, or um, yeah, 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 yeah. It's right, calf today. Um, like the same reason why I wouldn't go with someone like that because I think there's enough of a chance that they don't get DPP that it ends up being a really bad pick. If you're going to pick someone to get DPP, you have to be so certain that they're getting it. It can't be like, oh, they might get it, or like it's a good chance. You have to be certain. Um, so yeah, Amon and um, and Scott, for example, I'm like. Yeah, scared off because of that. But the rest of them are all, all in consideration. I just see Matt Crouch as having the history and uh, we saw the role at the end of last year and they signed him to a two-year contract. So to me, it seems very certain that that is going to happen. Uh, Nick Martin, I'm pretty certain. The others, I still have enough uncertainty over where they end up that they're the ones that I'm probably more likely to not start and correct to rather than take a leap of faith on it'll, it working out if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. I, I agree with you on on pretty much all of those players. I, uh, Simkin, it would be interesting to see, but I, I haven't read as much of the match sim sort of stuff as you're doing, but it, it does kind of make sense that they throw him around a little bit if they're looking to get more guys through there. Ollie Wines, he just he just really intrigues me because if you 
if you had a spreadsheet with all AFL players in it and you didn't have the names there and you're purely looking at his data, um, mm-hmm. you would be able to sell yourself the narrative that he had the injury interrupted preseason last year. I'm pretty sure he didn't train at all off the back of knee surgery and then essentially just played round one. Um, and you could tell he was just so far off the pace. But yeah, yeah, from, from, a, from a footy point of view, like I, I try to think of things from a footy point of view, not just a fantasy point of view, because we do get caught up in the numbers and your Rosie and your Butters, although they are fantastic to watch and they're definitely the future, the fact of the matter is that Port Adelaide went out in straight sets and you know we don't know whether that's because that the young the young midfield were tiring and they just couldn't go at the end of the year. And for me, it makes perfect sense for an Ollie Wines to be in there, essentially the M1, not from a scoring point of view, but an M1 in terms of doing all of the hard work inside to be able to then get the ball on the outside to your Butters and Rosie who are far more dangerous yeah. You know, on the outside, moving the ball forward and, and being creative. And if if you want to, you know, extrapolate that out, like a, a Butters and a Rosie, they're they're dangerous forward. You know, they're they're able to get you know that scoreboard impact on the same way a Dusty did back in the day, the same way a Dangerfield did back in the day. And you know, you don't need these type of class players getting your eighty percent CBAs. You want them being as damaging as possible. So if Ken Inkley's pretty, you know, normally he's pretty straight down the line with what he says. And if he's saying that Ollie Wines is back in the midfield 100% and he's looking to complement these players, then, yeah, I can't see less than a 95 average, which would be an okay pick. But if you can get back to those sort of 98s, then it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty good pick. Yeah, I, I take your point. So I, I, I think you're right. I mean, the other thing you just step back and think about is all of Horn, Francis, Rosie and Butters are dangerous in front of goals. <laughs> Wines is not, right? Wines, Wines has a one wood and that's it and that's in the midfield. All the others you could reasonably rotate more through the forward line and it'd be good for them just given um, that none of them have been particularly durable. I mean, I know Horn Francis's issues have kind of or should have been fixed and he hasn't really had the same injury history that a Butters or a Rosie has. Uh, so, yeah, like I, I could totally see why they'd put Wines in. And just going back and looking at his 2022 as well, which I'd pulled up while we were talking. So he had 71% CBAs and 77% time on ground and went 98 for fantasy. Um, so like, yeah, if he goes from 50 to 70% CBAs, his time on ground was low last year because as you mentioned, he started off slow. He had a few games in like the mid 60s. Like that could reasonably get up to, you know, 75 plus. I, yeah, I, like I don't see a reason why he couldn't go back to 100. The only thing that um, I do worry about a little bit is uh, Port is the like one of the lowest stoppage, stoppage teams. teams yeah lowest yeah. scoring and low low stoppage so absolutely they changed their game style up and it, it worked they got in the top four so i can't see them going away too much from that but at the same time you spoke about st kilda being the lowest stoppage team or one of and and only mm-hmm. seeing upside there you'd, you'd think that port adelaide can only go up from the bottom as well in terms of their fantasy scoring we saw a collingwood who play mm-hmm. that same kind of brand but they weren't horrendous fantasy scorers they were still able to average i think fifteen forty compared to a Port Adelaide fourteen forty, so maybe there's some upside there, but yeah, we don't need to talk yeah. about Ollie Wines anymore. But it will be very so, interesting to see in the preseason. Yeah, just quickly, so they were one of the worst hit out teams last two years as well. Actually, I think they were the lowest hit out wins last two years. So, um, like one of the things they've solved, hopefully in the off season, is actually bringing in a ruck that will start winning some contests. So I wonder if they actually do become a little bit more happy to play stoppage style or get some benefit out of that. Like, uh, like yeah, it's it's. I think Wines is reasonable. It's yeah, yeah, okay. Fair enough. Let's move on. So midfielders, we won't touch on the rookies. A, we don't know who's playing, but B, we've all essentially got McKercher and Sanders locked away M7, M8. So that's all all well and good. We just got to see who's named to fill out our benches. The Rucks. Now, here's where it gets interesting. So as a man that's been pretty set and forget in the past, it's how I've been successful. You've got Rowan Marshall and Tim English that have both had fantastic seasons. Um, I think we're sleeping on Marshall a little bit, but it is hard um, considering he's so heavily priced. But how are you looking to attack the Rucks this year, knowing that we've got Grundy, who's underpriced because uh, he's now gone to Sydney and left Melbourne. You've got Gorn, who's also underpriced. And now you've got Cherry as well, who's going to have the number one Ruck role when he's never had it in the past. Uh, Yeah, I mean, Rucks were a really fun time for me last year because I started Cherry. Um, I started him as an, like with the emergency on. Uh, so when he got injured, I then restructured my side to bring in Wits. So my round one team had um, Wits, R2, uh, Cherry, R3, uh, which made for a lot of fun because there then I go. couldn't change. You start 500K plus on the bench. Yeah, yeah. I guess I guess I did. No problem with that. Um, and he went, went backwards in value too, which was a bit of a killer. Uh, so yeah, I'm hoping to 
uh, not make the same mistakes this year. Although I have had Cherry and Grundy in my uh, ruck slots for a lot of the year. I've recently moved to Gorn just because I've ended up having the extra money to do so. I think any two of Gorn, Grundy and Cherry is probably where I'll head. Um, yeah, it just comes down to there being enough value that I don't think you need to start an English or a Marshall who are probably close to the top of their price. Um, and given that both English and Marshall have had reasonably poor injury history, the fact that they both ended up playing out the year last year, I think is a minor miracle. I would probably bet against them backing that up. With that said, I mean, Gorn's, what, 32. Cherry doesn't have a great history himself. I think there's a good chance that whoever you pick, it's like, yeah, Murphy's Law, you'll end up with injuries in the rucks this year. Just, yeah, feel like that's going to be the case. Yeah, man, it's it's crazy to think that we're for the first time in about four years, we're going to have an 80% ruck time Max Gorn. You know, he had Grundy mm-hmm. last year, but even the years prior to that, he had Jackson that was eating into 35 40%. Um, and he was still able to average, I think, 108 um, in 2022. So... The fact they have no other Ruckman, all that will really happen, yep. I think, is Van Ruyen potentially chopping out in the forward line at times or when Gorn's off the off the ground and all that means is Gorn's going to get behind the ball to be that outlet mark when teams try to uh, exit D50. I think Gorn can potentially be a smash play. But, yeah, you're right. You do take on that, that potential injury risk knowing that he's 32. But I think, yeah, Gorn, even with the early buy, he's going to be close enough to what uh, Marshall and English are that he's going to prove to be a smash pick. The only issue is, are we going to have a playing R3 uh, during the buys? Because having your Grundy and Gorn potentially miss round five and round six and having no one to cover, especially when maybe you're looking at a Taylor Adams and maybe some other premiums, the Dacos all taking the hit in round five is going to be quite tough. What are your thoughts with the with the R3? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm always up for playing R3 if I can. Even in Supercoach, it's been popular to start a, a loophole from round um, one, I think there's almost no reason to do it in a year where you've got buys. You're going to have loopholes and the ability to um, have players come on at any other point. Like it's it's going to be fine. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm in favour of playing R3 if you can find one just to generate that cash. I think last year it ended up being Samson Ryan, but there's been almost one for the last three years. I want to say that's that's ended up either you started it or you traded it in um, through the middle of the year. So yeah, sweet Conway. If any, any of these end up with the um, R1 in their teams, I will definitely be selling them at R3 and paying up for that. Uh, and especially if I end up with Gorn Grundy for the buy cover, as you mentioned. Yeah, and I think it, I think what kind of gets glossed over as well with spending up a little bit more for R3 is that. You know, say hypothetically, say a sweet does come in as R1 and he plays for two or three weeks, but then's dropped for a solder or they start sharing. At least you've got the flexibility to trade down to an R3 that might come on the scene. Whereas if you start a 200K player who potentially isn't playing or isn't scoring, you've got to find cash to go up. And that feels like a bit of a wasted trade at times. So maybe taking a little bit of a haircut on field to pay up a little bit more for R3 is definitely going to pay off. I know that I think it was maybe three or four years ago when Riley O'Brien came onto the scene and I think mm-hmm. it was about 290k and a lot of coaches weren't you know happy to pay up for that kind of coin on the bench but he turned out to be almost a competition winning pick because he got that number one spot and yes he wasn't putting up premium scores but I think he went up almost 400 500k which you know 500k that's that's just it's huge. the top two or three players for the year like that's yeah uh, yeah as, as you said it's like season defining pick season's finding money that you get there yeah I'm still Still hoping that we get Conway for Geelong, but knowing that Geelong don't play anyone under the age of twenty-five, it's it's a little bit, little bit worrying. But well, yeah, it apparently yeah, went I well mean, in match sim. So yeah, the recent reports are that he was beating Stanley like around the ground. I want to say it was. I'm not sure if he was actually beating him in the ruck work, but yeah, that's uh, promising signs. Promising signs. Yeah. So let's move into the forwards now. We'll finish off with the hardest hardest line to pick. So I know I know you're a big Flanders man. So I'm guessing you've yep. probably got him at. Hasn't moved F1, all year. Knowing that yep. maybe you don't like a McRae, which I'm I'm pretty scarred as well, but I'm I'm struggling to find someone else to pick there. But how are you looking to go in the forwards this year? Yeah, I'm pretty happy to bet against McRae, especially with the soft tissue injury in the preseason. Uh, so after that, there's... I mean, this is what I kind of was mentioning about starting with lots of mid-prices and just slowly cutting them out. There's like tons of guys that I, I think could be pretty interesting um, Fisher, I'm still not out on despite his soft tissue injuries. I think he's priced well enough and we saw what Zebel and Hall have done in that role in Sheasel that I don't see any reason why he couldn't end up being near keeper range. 
Uh, Billings is interesting. I think there's some chatter that he was actually in the twos for match him today, so he might be someone that gets moved on pretty quickly. James Jordan, I'm pretty big on, depending on what that role looks like. Thankfully, we get a, a free hit with both Billings and Jordan in terms of where they end up, and I think that's the benefit of these guys is we'll actually get a good look and can figure out if the role is nice or not for the year. Um, Fife, I guess, is one that people have talked about, and I don't know if Harms is cheap enough in this format. Probably not, just having a look at 6.30. Fife is probably more of a super coach selection than a fantasy one. Uh, yeah. Uh, Baker, I've looked at. Like, there's uh, honestly, if you throw out a name, I've probably looked at them for forward forward eligibility. Yeah. Harms is an interesting one, and he's actually in my side at the moment. Ooh. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I'm, I'm not confident, let's put it that way. He's he's just in there at the moment. I'm, I'm just sleeping on it just to see, see how I feel. But. He's a he's more of a play in your super coach and, and real DT formats because he's a lot cheaper in, in those. Unfortunately, in AF, he obviously gets that discount off his previous year, which was a little bit higher, I think, off that sixty five. So, or maybe even a bit higher. So he's probably priced about that seventy mark, which does make it tough. Did you read that afl.com.au article about him that came out about three days ago? Oh, did it talk about how he kicked like four goals from half forward and how he wants to play more inside mid time and? You know, they had a role for him. Like, so, it was something like that, right? Like it was very feel good. You know, I was worried about coming over because we've been enemies for so long, but they took me under the wing and I'm going to have a great season, that type of article. Yeah, yeah. And it, it reading through it, I'm not going to lie, it gave me a little bit of confidence when he, he said that he's essentially been training as an inside midfielder with, you know, a little bit of half forward time, which obviously he will because, you know, you've got Bont, Libba that are going to be the main guys and even a, even a Trelaw. But I, if he's got 40% CBAs in that, bulldog system that are very high stoppage um, yep. he'd, we'd be silly yep. not to look at him um, you know even a Bailey Smith last year who had very limited CBAs he was still able to score 83 in that system yes he's a, a lot more uh, aerobically gifted which means he could get on the outside a lot more but I always do like to have a look at these players that have moved clubs for a, for a fresh start and you know yep. we talk about them giving Matt Crouch two years they've given him three years so if he was just going to be a fringe player without a role I can't oh, see them giving point. him three years. I think, well, I mean, they gave Rory Atkins three years, so it doesn't always work <laughs> out. But, you know, if they've got that role there for him, they believe in him and you know, he says he's in the best mental space he's been in a long time, then absolutely. If I see in the preseason that he's got that 40 to 50% CBA role and they're, they're allowing him to play his natural game, I'd much rather at this stage start with him over a McRae, who I think is going to be okay, but I don't see much value, especially with what I saw last year. Yeah, so it's like really interesting the inside mid time because what we as fantasy players call inside mid, I think is quite different to what AFL players call inside mid. Um, like, so I could see McRae saying like I played inside mid last year as well. Like, I, I think that like that is if I'm pu- if I'm starting half forward and I'm pushing up to the stoppage to play around the ball at stoppage, I'm an inside mid even if I'm not necessarily starting CBA mid. And so that's what I worry about. Like. The fact that he kicked four goals doesn't scream inside mid to me. That screams like half forward that's been pushing up to be the extra number at the contest, which at the dogs can still score really well. Yeah, like we, we saw, saw Dougley do that, right? Yeah, and, and McRae, like even though it was bad for McRae standards, it was still a good score, especially in the context of forwards this year. So it may end up being good. But um, <laughs> seeing that kind of gave me less confidence because I'm like, oh, I, mean, I don't know why. I just get the feeling this is half forward role that he's playing. Um, the other thing I was thinking about is like, in what world is playing Harms as an inside mid better than Jack McRae? And I know like McRae is slow and they talk that up all that stuff. But like, really? Like, is he that slow that Harms ends up being a better inside mid? Like, I'm really worried. He's cheaper in Supercoach. Like, he's very much an um, option in that. He's as cheap as like Jordan or Billing. So, like, imagine a 200K discount in fantasy. Um, on what he's priced at. But yeah, I'm, I'm a bit worried about him. I, I could see myself like ending up with him though, like totally. Um, the other one that I really like, uh, which I, other people talk about is Connor McDonald. I think he is one of the best talents uh, on that Hawks list. And if he if he was being promised inside mid-time or like CBA time, I'd be all over him. Same with Dylan Moore, actually. There's lots of Hawks half forwards that I like if they were playing on ball. But um, yeah, I, I just don't think he'll get the role. Yeah, Connor Max, he's interesting. He's uh, Selby talks it all talks about it all the time in terms of him being second behind Dacos in his draft year for scoring. I think he averaged uh, one twenty one in the in the coach league or whatever it was back then. I yeah, I'm a little bit concerned. You can't be hot on a you know a Carl Amon 
going back into defence and, and averaging 105 in that sign of system where they chip chip around the back line and then also being hot on Connor McDonald who primarily is going to be a half forward who maybe gets a few a yep. few goes in the midfield because we saw last year that Hawthorne, that's the brand they played. They were very low stoppage. They were very low metres per disposal and they just spent all of their time chipping around in the in the back line. So that's what that's what worries me about Connor McDonald. There's no doubt he's got talent. Um, it'll just be what kind of role he plays. But as always, it'll be watching in the preseason. I think all of us would be far more tempted if we saw 40 to 50% CBAs in the preseason, but I'm not sure it's going to eventuate. The same with a Josh Rochelle as well. I know a lot of people have been mm-hmm. high on a Josh Rochelle, but from my point of view, I saw Matt Crouch, Dawson and Laird finish the season and that's when Adelaide were playing their best footy, pushing for finals. And mm-hmm. I, I just can't be hot on a Matt Crouch and also be hot on a Josh Rochelle because those roles are going to contradict each other. So... I'm I'm Matt Crouch over Rochelle at this point. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I mean, this comes down to a little bit like I was talking about earlier, like where you actually find mid prices from, or like what are the most predictable ways to get these breakouts. And for me, the worst one to try and do is natural improvement. If you try and predict natural improvement, that is where you come unstuck more often than not. It's really hard to do. Um, so that's why someone like a Caleb Sarong, I would have never picked up last year because it, there, there was no reason for him to start doing better other than he just naturally improves. Turns out he actually got a little bit more CBAs, a little bit more time on ground. And if you had your ear to the ground, maybe you would have picked up on that stuff. Same reason why I wouldn't pick Newcomb. I can't see why he goes better this year. Um, and that's where like a Rochelle, a Connor McDonald, if there's no role change and you're kind of just hoping that they do a little bit better or get a little bit more mid-time, it's, these aren't good picks. Um, and it comes back to like, well, why is harms interesting? Where players are predictable, a little bit more predictable and doing better is they have a clear role change or they change clubs for a, for a role change. So Harms fits that category. Billings fits that category. Jordan fits that category. Fisher fits that category. Those are the types of mid-prices that I think um, uh, are the ones that you should be watching more closely because they're going for more opportunity. They're Usually, you're not picking them up to put them in the twos or as depth. So... Um, they tend to have reasonably good job security. They're discounted because they've been played out of position. Like those are the ones that start uh, ticking the boxes. And then the last one is uh, those that are coming off injury, which is like a Zach Williams. And, you know, the price has been inbuilt from the game. You just get these really heavy discounts because they haven't been playing for years. So, yeah, the the types that I think I shy away from are actually two of the ones I've got in defense. So like Buderick and Chapman, um, like they're, they're the ones that are like, oh, Chapman, I guess, is not really natural improvement because he's, he's had got some injury, injury history. Right? Yeah, so it's a little bit, yeah. a little bit different. You are banking and, on some and, natural, but the injury yeah. history. And, and Buderick is some injury and like some promise of role change. But yeah, those ones in team, I guess, are, are more concerning where someone like Nick Martin, I'm more happy to take a, a, a go on because it's not natural improvement. It's a role change. Like we've seen that he's good, but he's going into a better role. Um, but yeah, so... Uh, yeah, Connor McDonald and Rochelle scare me because they're at the top end of that price. And unless I'm really certain that they're moving into the, a new role, like they're just not the ones that are going to end up being those lights out picks, or at least you're not going to be able to predictably um, bank on those types of guys being lights out picks. So they're the ones that I'll shy away from once again. Yeah. And I think Selby nails this on the head as well. So he talks about in his winning years when he got on a Taranto price at 60 and he broke out to a 95. He had a Clayton Oliver you know, break out to over 100 in his second year. Your Petrarca, when he broke out, your McRae. But he didn't start any of these players. I think he might have started Petrarca in that year, um, if I'm not mistaken. But you correct very quickly. So it's very different to see it in a preseason game compared to a, a round one game. Mm-hmm. So you have a look at these type of players. And then if they do if they do go bang in round one, potentially even in round two, then that's when you quickly jump across and you correct from some of your failed ones. But if you start too many of these guys, and they don't work out, then you find yourself in no man's land. And that's why traditionally I have been a little bit less mid-pricer heavy, but it's good that you've kind of clarified what you're looking at for a breakout mid-pricer rather than that natural development. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, I guess, kind of the same reason why like I wouldn't necessarily start a ward law because like I'm just not sure that the scoring is there any second year. I'd jump on it. It's a, like similar to Oliver. I know that ward law's got injury stuff built in as well, but uh, like same type of reason why I'd shy away from those types of picks. So you've gone through all of the mid-prices. Let's just finish up with the rookies. Are you looking to yep. run one or two rookies there at the moment? 
Uh, so I've had one all preseason, but I've just moved it to two. With that said, I've got like 200K in the bank. So I could I could still fit in another mid price. We could get someone up to five if we really wanted to. But um, yeah, Harley Reid is now at F5. And like, there's a good chance he's a keeper for the year, honestly. If the role is what we saw out of Sheasel, there's like a decent chance he's a keeper, um, which is you know interesting because it frees up more trades if we do have an extra keeper from a 300K price point. Um, I've got Caleb Windsor there at F6. There's been some pretty positive stuff uh, about him in the D's preseason reports. Um, and then, yeah, Wilson, Manor to round out the bench and and they both sound pretty good as well. So, yeah, I think this is um, once again the type of line where I'd like to run maybe one less rookie because forward rookies just aren't that great. Uh, but the crop this year seems better than what we've had most years. So maybe I'm happy to run another one if we don't end up with the right mid prices. If we, if we struggle to find both mid-prices and rookies, then that is where I will be looking back at like, okay, McRae is probably fair value, but I think that ends up being worth it just because I don't see enough value elsewhere in the line. Yep. So on that then, you you didn't mention a Finn McRae. You're not, you're not keen on a Finn McRae? Oh, I moved him out today. I don't think he ends up being best 22. If he if he is, I'm happy to start him. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, like I, I think Reef beats him out for a spot and he ends up being sub. Um, I'm worried even if he does play, he ends up being sub more often than not. So, uh, yep, yep, I, th- I think it's unlikely that I start him. But that can change. I mean, it's the crystal ball work at this time in the preseason. We've still got a month to go preseason games, round zero for the pies as well. So, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, if he's locked in best 22, I'd start him. I just don't see that at the moment. Yep, uh, absolutely nailed my my thoughts on McRae. He is in my team at the moment, but the more I think about it, we know how hard it is to break into a, a premiership side at the best of times and even if he does he could be the sub one week in one week out and that's going to be a bit of a nightmare trying to trying to swap that but you are right we'll have a look in round zero mate that that chat was absolutely sorry fantastic. before we yep, before sorry. we finish there's one player i wanted to ask about actually because we didn't touch on him was um adams who's obviously very popular in the forward line we didn't touch on him at all i might assume from that that you're not that keen on him either uh i have him at the moment oh there you go all more, right. more at the moment because of the price point um, and just mm-hmm. having him in there as, as a bit of a placeholder. Ah, uh, it's it's one of those things. His his scoring history, you would think that he's, you know, you talk about these players moving clubs for a new role. Has he moved clubs for a new role or has he moved clubs because uh, Sydney just want a little bit more on-field leadership and he can play the same role there for three years, whereas at the Pies, you know, the writing was on the wall. And he was potentially out, out of favour this year and, and that would have, you know, broken him. So... I tend to think that he will probably play the same role. He'll be around that sort of 40% CBA role where he sort of chops out from the forward line. I still think, you know, Parker's going to be one of the main guys in there. Um, You would think Warner, even though Warner was on a bit of the outer towards the back end of last year. I'm not sure what was going on there, but you've got Mills when he comes back. You've got Gould and they love throwing Robottom in there for that bit of defensive pressure. Like (laughs) They they, they actually do bat pretty deep, but at the same time, they were one of the worst clearance um, teams last year so even with that 40 percent role what's to say that he doesn't just average the you know low 80s that he did in 2022 i think at the pies when he was up around that sort of 60 percent mark admittedly in a, a lower system a lower fantasy scoring system that year um yeah so i'm a little bit worried there and with the buy as well it makes it a bit tricky but he is in my side at the moment okay yeah i like what in 2022 he had 65 percent cbas and still didn't score enough so i do worry um that yeah coming to this one side uh which yeah as you mentioned not necessarily the uh, yeah they're okay with stoppages but like middle of the range which i guess is where pies were too i don't know like i just i'm not sure that combined with the injury history uh we yeah. get sitting around zero for free. In, yeah, we do. But in saying that, you know, the same sort of theory with Port Adelaide, the fact that they've now brought in a Ruckman, maybe they're more happy to play a little bit more stoppage brand footy, even though Sydney kind of do already. But having Grundy there, that more dominant player around That's the contest true. compared to a Tom Hickey, Peter Adams that they were running at times, you know, maybe there are more points on offer around the stoppages, which which is Adams' bread and butter. Like, that's 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 what he was in his day. He was a stoppage specialist. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, who knows? But and and the chemistry with Grundy as well, right? Should be yeah. We should probably shouldn't discount that. Yeah. Some... So like I said, he's in my side at the moment, but like everything, it'll just be that round one look. And if he does come out and he's got 60, 60 plus percent CBAs and looks good in the role, I think he's going to be pretty hard to pass up with the with the forwards that we have this year. Awesome.
mate, that was that was really good. I really really enjoyed that. Can you please just let all our listeners know where they can find you, even though you are a, are a super coach man? I'm 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 actually dabbling a little bit in super coach this year, so I'm I'm sure some of our listeners might give it a go too. So where where can they find you on the socials? Welcome to the dark side. Uh, so on Twitter, you can find me at Jackson Davy. I tend to um, tweet like both Supercoach and Fantasy Stats there. So it's probably worth a follow. And then uh, on YouTube, it's at Jackson Davey as well. So just search my name, you should be able to find me. I sometimes do like fantasy team reveals and updates throughout the year. But as you mentioned, it um, tends to be more focused on the Supercoach side. Um, I have released a, like recently a strategy video, which kind of talked about how to apply fantasy strategy to Supercoach. So I think there's something in there, even if you're more of a, a fantasy coach anyway, because it does go through some of those learnings and trying to apply it. And then um, the Fantasy Take TV podcast is hosted on George Supercoach uh, YouTube channel. And so you can find me there occasionally as well if you're looking for that little bit of extra content. But if you're a PodPod listener, I'm sure I'm sure you're uh, filled up to the brim with it. You don't need to come find that as well. Nah, awesome, mate. And I'll definitely, definitely keep in contact with you. And who knows, maybe you'll be one of the first to go, well, the first to go back to back to back for sure. But I'm not sure there's too many coaches out there with three hats. So fingers crossed I get one before you do, but who knows? <laughs> uh, be good, good race for it. All right, mate. Cheers. Cheers. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.